0: How to Unlock Your Natural Ability to Live Longer, A Mind-Body Journey with Dr. Eva Selhub. Get ready to be captivated by the profound wisdom of her, a true expert in resilience, well-being, and longevity. With her transformative books like Resilience for Dummies, Burnout for Dummies, The Love Response, Your Healthy Destiny, and Your Brain on Nature, Dr. Selhub will take you on a mind-body adventure. Join us as we explore the depths of resilience, uncover the impact of burnout on your well-being, Unravel the intricate connection between love and health and unlock the secrets of nature's nurturing power. Dr. Selhub's metaphorical language, thought-provoking questions and descriptive imagery will transport you to a world of possibilities where your true potential awaits. Tune in now. Welcome to the Wellness-Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride.
1: Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby.
0: We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential
2: it is to advocate for your child and their education.
1: That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children.
0: On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself.
1: Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together.
0: Welcome back. I'm so excited to introduce our guest. Let me share a little bit about her with you now. Dr. Eva Selhub is an internationally recognized resiliency expert, physician, author, keynote speaker, and spiritual advisor for leaders. A wisdom carrier, Dr. Eva engages her clients and her audiences in transformational change and growth with her powerful energy, intuitive counseling, scientific knowledge, and practical mindset. Please help me welcome Dr. Eva.
3: Hello.
0: Hi. I'm so pleased to have you on the Wellness Driven Life
3: Show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation with you.
0: Yes, we're going to go on a great journey. You are like this plethora of information, and I'm so excited to share that with the audience. Let's get started. And Dr. Eva, will you please tell us a little bit about you? Let's get to know just who you are.
3: Let's see, when I was five, no, just kidding. Um, I actually, <laughs> uh, well, I, I am a, 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 a medical doctor. I was trained as a medical doctor. I worked as a primary care physician um, for some time, uh, but way back when I started, which is a while ago in 1997, I also realized that it was important for me to learn other things. I actually had a pretty um, devastating experience in 96. When I was a resident, I was stuck with the HIV needle uh, we had a different mm. um, different virus that was killing people off back in the 90s. And I was exposed. It was a really bad exposure. I was one of the first people to go on a, what we call a post-exposure prophylactic cocktail of medications. I took 14 pills a day for six weeks.
4: Mm. And
3: it was obviously extremely devastating. Um, I was able to witness that I had very poor coping skills. I just cried all the time. And the things that made me upset were very interesting when I look back now. What made me upset was I wasn't so upset about dying, I was upset about suffering. I was upset about the pain I was causing my family. I, and when I was upset that I was gonna die alone without love mm. and never going to be able to pay back my loans. And so <laughs> so there was a six, six weeks of being on these medications that I, I bargained, you know, I thought What am I doing with my life? If you, you know, if there is a God, if you let me live, I promise I'll be a better person. Mm. All that sort of bargaining that went on. And when my test came out negative six weeks later, I still had to continue testing for a year. So I wasn't out of the woods. But I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go and learn more about people and I'm going to learn more about, I'm going to be a good girl now and not go down this fellowship track and I'm going to take care of people. And I followed a midwife around and I just really took this bargaining thing very seriously. And then even though I was you know, doing everything I was told to do, um, if you will, of being like following the rules and doing the right thing, I just went through a series of life events that brought me to my knees. So there was a needle stick, then my dog died, then my grandfather died, then somebody started harassing Country me that I, that I had to take to court, and then my apartment burned down, I lost all of my possessions, everything, no renter's insurance. Then my father had a heart attack. He Whoa. lived, but he lived, but the, my my insides died, if you will. I just became yeah. it was over a five month period, by the way, and I just became profoundly depressed. I just I met the darkness of my soul. Did not want. I just I just said I don't get it. I don't understand why why me why me. I keep doing everything that I'm told. I keep following the rules. I keep being a I think I'm being a good person. Why am I being punished? Why me? Why me? Why me? Yeah. And I was just kind of a robot. I, would, I wasn't suicidal, if you will, but I just didn't want to live. I didn't have the energy to live. And I went on like that for probably a good five months until a friend took me out to dinner and she said, we miss you. And I really don't know what happened. I can't tell you. But it was like a light bulb went out, up in my mind. And I said, huh, I've been looking at this all wrong. I've been walking around saying, Why me? as if I'm the victim of, of life, instead of asking, Why not me? Instead of seeing this as a co creator of my life. Why do I see myself as a victim? Why do other people think this way? Where is this punishment reward thing coming from? You know, why are my po- coping skills so poor? Why am I thinking I'm so unloved when I look around me and everyone is still so supportive and nobody's left me, even though I've been a miserable wreck? I said, "What is this all about?" And that's when I started volunteering at the Mind Body Medical Institute at Harvard to learn about mind body medicine, about meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy, and nutrition, and how all this, all these other factors, what they had to do with health and healing. Because I needed to learn. And when I a year into it, they asked me to be the medical director. And so I did that part time. I worked in my primary care practice part time, and. As I'm doing this now, this is back in the late nineties and they're starting to change the model to what it is today. This incentive model that everyone is suffering through where the doctors are basically said, you know, your, your pay is gonna get docked if you don't see enough people and you'll get rewards if you see more people. And I thought to myself, the day I start looking at my patients' numbers is the day I have to leave. And so I left and I started studying with healers and I started learning all kinds of esoteric um, wisdom traditions. I started qigong, healing, energy work, started changing my mind and how, what healing is all about. And looking at our Western medical model and saying, wow, that's actually brand new. Real medicine is how they did it before. And so I opened up my own practice doing that, merging together different types of traditions to facilitate the healing process for my patients. I didn't want to be the person I came to, to fix. I was like, we're going to do this together. And I did that for 20 years. I did that until two, you know, 2019, uh, during this time, I'm writing books, and I'm, I'm going out into the public, and I'm doing a lot of speaking, and I'm feeling like there's got to be something more than just this one. I like my, my patients. but There's got to be something more than this, because people aren't changing, the world is still the same. Mm. And even though we've had all this progress, you know, the medical system is broken, the education system is broken, politically, we're broken, you know. And I said, Well, we need more care. So I thought, well, where can we, how can we change people? I said, well, they spend most of their time at work. So if we create loving cultures at work, then people will feel more loved and then they'll change and they'll start taking better care of themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So I started venturing into working in the corporate world with leadership to start creating cultures of care within the companies and that sort of led to meeting more people, meeting more people, and then, you know, meeting individuals who are in sort of crypto technology and AI and sort of, in the mystical world of psychedelics. And (laughs) it's all sort of opens up to, wow, we can actually create new ways of helping people of creating large cultures of care where everybody's benefiting. And so that's sort of, that's sort of where I've sort of progressed from, you know, regular medical doctor with, you know, who thought that this was the way you go to anything's possible and learning about love and learning about all these types of wisdom traditions, learning about how we can really anything is possible versus that nothing is possible mindset that I had to begin with. And that's who I am today. That's why I call myself a wisdom carrier. I feel like I've just learned so many different things and I want to share and help help the world change into a better place you definitely are a wisdom carrier
0: absolutely my gosh and life is so beautiful when we go through these traumas and these events and these ups and the downs and the roller coaster ride of life and we come to a point where we're able to look back at that and say this is why these things happen or if these didn't happen, I wouldn't have learned this. And you have gone on such a journey where you have been gifted with so many experiences in order to learn from, in order to gain that wisdom from. So thank you so much. And I'm very excited. Like for a moment there, I'm like, wow. I mean, this is a a plethora of experience and you're going down all of these different rabbit holes and you're doing all of these things. And then you say, when, when you think that you've done it all and you've learned it all and you're doing all the things you're like, but, but I needed more. There was, there's more. (laughs) And I think that that's another beautiful aspect where we come to those points often enough to where we're like, but, but there's, bigger things that we are unaware of that I want to explore.
3: Yeah, I think that's really the beauty. And really, the beauty of resilience is yes. curiosity. It's being curious. The minute you lose curiosity, you become rigid and you die. You know, and we've been gifted with this a human mind that is always open to learning. And, and we don't know why things happen. And for us to say, oh, this is why, that's okay, you know, to make meaning. I don't so much as look at a situation and say, this is why it happened. I, you know, it's sort of like, I don't sit there and say, like, what's the meaning of life? I think about how do I bring meaning into my life? Right. So I look at every situation as an opportunity to bring meaning into my life and how I interpret it and how I make meaning from it. You know, that's going to be a personal thing. A lot of people say, well, this happened because I don't know if that's why it happened. But if it helps me feel better, then then sure, why not? Um, But, you know, I think, you know, sometimes stuff just happens and it's what we do with it. So it's where, you know, you can either look at life as happening to me. You can even look at life as happening for me, which is still kind of the same mindset because, you know, life isn't happening for me. Life is happening with me. It's like when we look at, you know, animals and say, well, this animal was put here for me or this tree was put here for me. Well, no, this tree is a living being life force that's here with me. Right. So life is happening with us and how we then co-create is going to be up to us. And part of that is being curious, you know, looking at situations as opportunities for growth and learning and and bringing more meaning into our life. And sometimes it's challenging and sometimes it's joyful. And either way we can find ways to make meaning.
0: I love that. Life is happening with us. It's a much less egotistical way of viewing things. And so thank you for presenting that because that was the first time that I've heard that. So mm. I appreciate that. There's so much to be said about the the yin and the yang, uh, where we're not going into an extreme of anything. And I think that you're exactly right that this is happening to me versus this is happening uh, for me are just on the opposite spectrums. And so where's that middle ground? Well, that's life is happening with me.
3: Exactly, exactly. And, and, it's a, and as you can say, you can feel it. It's a very different feeling. It's like, whoa, you know, I have choices. You yeah. know, it's, it's snowing outside. I could, there's nothing I can do about the fact that it's snowing outside. And now i have a choice. I can be miserable and say, man, I was going to go for a walk. And now, you know, I I don't like snow and I'm going to stay in and I'm going to be miserable. Or I can say, well, I don't love snow, but I can still go outside and I'm going to put on my boots and winter coat and I'm going to go out anyway. And then you go and have an experience and who knows who you'll meet along the way. And so the trajectory of your life totally changes based on your choice. So we are co-creators, we may not like something, but then what we do about it, how we respond, how we react, can really, you get completely different trajectories, right? From the same situation.
0: You do. And that explorative nature is, is really a key factor. And I really like that. So Dr. Eva, you have this plethora of knowledge and you really dived into so many different, uh, techniques that were non-Western or, and so I'm curious if you could even, you know, think about some of the most profound things that you came across that you continue to really have more of a set belief in some of the things that you came in to knowing that still are with you today. Oh, my goodness.
3: So much. Well, one of the major my biggest learning, my biggest learning was about love hmm. that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this beautiful story. So I was so I was still as a, uh, working in primary care. This is like 2000 or something. That was well, 2002, actually. And um, I was stressed. You know, they're changing our model over and I, making me see patients every whatever, five minutes, 10 minutes, I'm having panic attacks in between each patient. And I'm miserable. I like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And um, come April uh, 16, 2002, and you say, oh, what happened April 16, 2002? Well, in Boston, we had the Boston Marathon, but it also happened to be when my niece was born. And I was part of the labor and delivery team because it was I was on staff at the hospital at the time. And I got to, she had a cesarean section and then they gave Maya to me first and I cut the cord and I don't know if anybody's ever seen a newborn baby, but they're just a bloody mess and, <laughs> yeah, and it's not so pretty, but to me, or I should say, and, and as I held this bloody mess in my hand, time stood still, time mm-hmm. stood still. It was like, there was nothing wrong in the world. Everything was going to be fine. I just was filled with this sense of hope and stillness. And I thought about that afterwards and every time I was with her. And I was like, what is that? What is that? What is that? It's the same feeling I have when I meditate sometimes. Mm
4: -hmm. What is that?
3: And I go and I do some research. I look up neurobiology of love. And there my colleagues actually in Germany had written a paper on it, on the neurobiology of love. And they wrote how it's actually the similar physiological response as what occurs when we meditate or the relaxation response. It's very similar. Mm. And I thought, wow, I see what's going on when that dopamine and oxytocin, that love hormone flies through my brain. It literally opens up my brain centers, that placebo response to think anything's possible. It takes away the fear.
4: Mm. And I
3: thought, wow, that's it. I said, if I could help people, understand love and get into that place of love, then they can be believe in themselves and believe anything is possible. And also what's the problem? Why, why don't we do that? Because we're as human beings, we default to the negative because that's what keeps us alive. If we walked around in love all the time, then we'd actually be dead because you wouldn't be able to like run away from a lion or another predator. We're talking about wilderness as when we evolved. And so the thing I realized was that our core as human beings, whether it's the religious upbringing or culture again the paradigm that we've been taught that we're not good enough and that we have to the only way we can be good enough is if we meet somebody else's expectations or societal expectations so at our core we don't know that we're loved and then when we feel that love everything goes away that's when we feel that peace
4: Mm.
3: and so that was by early discovery which is like led me to what i do today but at our core At the core is our belief, and wisdom wisdom traditions have said this for thousands of years, that at the core of our suffering is a belief that we're separate, that we're alone. And as opposed to that sense of awe, the sense of connection, that sense of totally, you know, feeling loved, feeling safe, that is the opposite of that feeling of separateness. And when we're in that, you know, I'm sure everybody in the audience has been in love at some point or another. You're just like totally stupid, you know, like (laughs) everything's okay. You can slam that door in my face. I don't care. I'm in love. You know, and it's it is that it is a physiological state. It's an energetic state. It's an emotional state. It's so many different things that when it fill that fills us up when we are in the knowing of it. We're better able to manage life. It doesn't make life not hard. It just means that we can manage life better. And that's why biologically we have oxytocin, we have love ingrained in our body to have it so that we can mitigate uncertainty and handle difficulty. And so that's something that is grown, you know, from that. 2000 when, you know, and she and as she grew up, she would do that. She go, auntie, I love you, and I, oh, there's that feeling again. And so I was like, I'm gonna get that feeling. I'm gonna create it for people, which is what the love response was all about. And um and that's just gotten deeper and that's gotten stronger in in that knowing um, of letting people understand, giving that hope within of knowing that when we truly build up that feeling of, of love within ourselves, we're able to handle things much more readily and And easily.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many things that I love about this. First off, I love that you want to investigate and go back into the science of why I'm feeling this way. And so it really, I mean, that's why you have been able to write so many books because of that discovery aspect that you have. And when we talk about love, I I would love to know your, your perspective because you did touch on this that if we were in that love feeling all the time, we wouldn't be able to address the things that were important as far as our safety. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I I like to touch on that because there's so many people in, in this field, right. Of the, the wellness community, et cetera, that really want to, to go all in on that. And yet it's not, that that's not the way that it should be so i'm curious because i have not read your book yet and what do you have to say about that as far as uh, the importance of really knowing how to tap into it when the moment is right versus trying to reach that level on a consistent
3: basis so so this is, this is uh, from, from a scientific perspective. I mean, there's many ways to go about explaining this, but let's, let's go about it from a scientific perspective and an experiential perspective. So the best way to think about this is how, what kind of mindset is best to make decisions? An emotional mindset or an objective mindset? When you need to make decisions or communicate. Objective. Objective. So the key is to objectivity. So for us to be, um, to navigate uncertainty, navigate hardship, manage our world best, it is ideal to be objective
4: hmm. and
3: non-emotional. Correct. Anybody who owns a business, anybody who needs to make hardcore decisions, we you know when we're emotionally attached, it's very difficult. You know, we take things personally. It's very difficult. So this isn't about loving everybody and loving everything necessarily it, it is when you start going into like the more spiritual aspect of things, but it's about being able to be aligned yeah, and unattached so that I can make appropriate decisions as needed. And we do that by shutting down the stressors, by regulating the stress response more effectively. And we do that by taking care of our own belief system. So for instance, mm-hmm. if I were to, you know, able to move across time in this computer and tap you on the shoulder you would feel the tap on your shoulder but if I were to tap you on the shoulder and there was a big ulcer there you'd scream scream high, holy murder and you'd go into all sorts of assumptions about how doctors are insensitive or that I'm insensitive or whatever it is you would get triggered not because I was doing anything to hurt you but because you had a wound there that I wasn't paying attention to, and now your assumption is that I was hurting you or that I was whatever. All the assumptions, the all or nothing statements come out when we do that. You never take out the garbage, you always do this. I can't, you know, take this one more time. When we say those things, those are cognitive distortions based on a, the fear response, yeah, based on being triggered. It's not. True is just the way we're feeling at the moment. So, if that wound wasn't there, it would just be a tap on the shoulder. So, love helps us heal those underlying wounds, helps help heal that underlying belief that I'm being hurt or that I'm being disrespected or whatever it is that I'm walking you know, that chip that I, that I walk around with all the time. It helps us heal that one, two, it helps regulate that physiological response so that I'm calm and grounded. And it can see that you're just tapping me not paying attention that you don't mean any harm. Okay, so I'm better capable of having compassion, being able to, you know, see the see the situation for what it is. So that's, that's what, you know, mindfulness and mindful compassion and yeah. like the meditations and all those types of, of techniques bring us into center so that we can deal with what's going on. The key is to care without caring. <laughs> right? Yeah, if I don't have an emotional response. I care. But I don't care because I'm not taking it personally. So why do right. people have an emotional response? Because your psyche is taking it personally, and nothing is personal. Everything's happening with you not to you. Mm. So that's again, that's where that starts coming in. So it, the love part is the reprogramming. We reprogram underlying beliefs. We reprogram that physiological response so that when stuff does come at us, which it will, we don't take it personally and can navigate it like the Matrix.
0: Ah, you are so full of wisdom. Thank you so much for giving your perspective on things. It just makes things so much more clear to understand that and really understanding that that belief system is also one of those key players in all of it. So thank you so much. We're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, I can't wait to hear more, a little bit more about, let's go into the nature aspect of one of the books that you've written. Stay tuned.
2: If so, I would love to ask you, do you use hypnotherapy in your practice working with clients? And if not, would you like to? The power of hypnotherapy is limitless. And so often we experience our clients struggling to reach their goals. It's because they're coming up against their own brick walls and getting stuck. But you can help them through the power of hypnosis, break through all of that working with their unconscious mind to put the suggestions in, to have them taking the action to achieve the results that they want. They are thrilled with your coaching techniques. They're getting the results they want. You feel amazing because you are helping your client get the results they want. It's a win-win. And another win is that it's an added revenue stream for you in your business. So if you like the feel of helping your clients get the results they want, if you like the sound of that then definitely reach out melissa at yourguidedhealthjourney.com or click the link tree link below for my unlimited power of hypnosis class to learn more It's a weekend designation program that I teach, valid in 42 countries. You write an exam after taking the experiential course, and you can be admitted to the American Board of Hypnotherapy and start using hypnotherapy one-to-one with your clients and have them achieving the results they want.
0: So welcome back. One of my um, dear topics is nature, and you have written a book about your brain on nature. And so, Dr. Eva, I would love to have you explain a little bit of how that came to the forefront for you, why it matters, and why you wrote an entire book on it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's very interesting. What the, the, the real interesting part to me, actually, is that it was published, and we wrote it earlier, obviously, in 2010, but it was published in 2012. So that was 11 years ago, and it couldn't be more relevant today. Hmm. That's what's, you know, astounding to me. Um, but my colleague who's a naturopath, um, Alan Logan, um, came up to me. And he said, I really want to write this book on nature. And he said, you use nature in all your techniques. And in every, you know, when you're working with your patients, you use nature with everything. He said, there's there's something to that. And, you know, it's really important. And we were, we were talking about how we're watching this technology just take over. And and this is 2012, mind you. So imagine that we're thinking we're looking at we're looking at all the people like all the screen time is taking over. Children are like not going outside, and they're doing all the screen time, and parents are giving them screens to you know um, keep them occupied. And we said we've got to we've got to look into this. And so we did, we looked into all the research of, you know, the nature deprivation syndrome and what what was going on and the increase of anxiety and depression and other types of mental health disorders, and also all the research of how in the past of history and and how in the history they used to actually write prescriptions for nature therapy, and how there's different organizations and um, universities that were doing studies on exposure to nature, whether it was a plant in the room or uh, Mm -hmm. looking at photos of nature versus concrete jungle or taking walks in nature versus the concrete jungle or exercising in nature, or um, shinrin-yoku forest bathing, which they were studying in Japan, which literally is bathing your senses or a mindful walk in nature for 20 minutes. And looking at all those studies and saying, this is, you know, it's kind of sad that we have to study this to tell people, hey, you guys, we're going to have a problem. Um, and also, again, that inquiry of, wow, we are nature. You know, we are nature and we are intricately connected to it. And again, we've, we've approached it in a way that has made us separate. And no wonder we're separating ourselves more and more from it because we've looked at it as separate, something that is there to, for our benefit to utilize, as opposed to that something that we're part of. And so that's what that book was written for. And like I said, it's more relevant today than it was back then, especially post-pandemic.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Eva, through that journey, what are some of the things, the the bigger takeaways, something that was aha for you during that process?
3: Um, there were some, a lot of ahas. Um, one of the ahas was I you know, I was able to understand why um, the meditations that I, I gave did with nature were so powerful because we have these mirror neurons in our brain that believe we're actually there, and so it has a similar. Um, physiological calming effect. It's like, you know, when you go out in in nature, they liken it to putting a drop of morphine in your brain. It's just a a sense of relaxation, Mm -hmm. a sense of peace and a sense of vastness of connection to something greater than. So I knew that from my own personal experience, but to see the science back that up was really interesting. And also that, you know, how much better, you know, kids did when they had nature exposure, how much better, um, uh, patients healed when they had a, a view to nature versus you know a yeah. wall, um, or they did better when a plant was in the room or pets and all the different types of uh, research that's out there that we need proof how nature is good for us and the unseen elements, it's just so intricate. It's so beautifully designed and our body is so beautifully designed in coherence with nature that these different chemicals and that are in the air or that are in the leaves that go through our nasal passages and stimulate our our immune system and turn down the stress response it's just incredible
0: yeah i um i feel that way too, when I go out in nature, I, I mean, you can, you, you just feel the difference within you and you're right. I love that. You really came into this understanding of all of that evidence that you were seeing, how profound it really was for us as humans and how connected we really are. Why do you feel that it is more important now than ever
3: Oh, gosh. Well, one is because we've become so disconnected. So it's beautiful that you and I can connect. I, I'm not poo-pooing technology. I mean, we're, we're going to we want to find ways to work with technology. It's here to stay. That's the way it is. Um, however, there's still like that physical connection of, you know, being with another person and the physical connection of actually being in nature. Right. So we're For evolution to take hold and to change our body, that would need to be kind of millions of years. And humans actually have not been around long enough. And we haven't, and technology certainly hasn't been around long enough. So our brain hasn't, even though psychologically we've acclimated, our brain hasn't. So it's looking at this technology as foreign, it's looking at buildings as foreign, and it's looking at it as I'm disconnected. You know, i am cut off. And so we had this pandemic that literally cut us off from one another. And we have mobile phones and technology that is keeping us glued to things. So that we don't have to connect with each other. And we don't have to connect with anything outside of our little cubicle in our home. And alongside that, we have increased mental health problems increase in suicides increase in whatever diagnoses up the wazoo was it because this stuff was always there and that we didn't have diagnoses or are we getting more of it is there more mental health awareness we don't know but it seems more people are complaining about it yeah and maybe they weren't didn't feel like they could complain about it before but they are and so and we know that when people spend a mere 20 minutes a day in nature, they feel better. It improves anxiety and depression, improves stress, the stress response, improves healing. 20 minutes, yeah, right? So whether you're gardening or you go for a walk in nature or you sit by the beach or whatever it is you do, just lie there in the grass. We know that that's going to be beneficial or bringing plants into your house or having photos of nature in your on your desk we know that that's going to be helpful for mood and relaxation and reducing the stress response and so we're living in a world where everything feels like it's falling apart and we're not really sure of anything anymore right everything's sort of like what you know like i said i think the beauty of the pandemic is it made people reassess their values what is valuable to me Mm. And that's really wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, because what's really valuable is our planet. What's really valuable are the people we love, our people. What's yeah. really valuable are you know having food that is healthy and has its nutrients in it in our body. So what you know again, it's what's really valuable is time, having time with to do things we love, right? Not yeah. just being workhorses all the time. So right. people are reevaluating the way things have always been done. And my hope is that they get out in nature and expand their point of view to be connected to something greater than and imagine a life that can be greater than. And we do that by remembering that we are nature and we belong in nature and we need to have a relationship with nature.
0: Mm. That being said, Dr. Eva, what are some of the things that you're striving to work towards now because I I know that this is something that is you're passionate about. What are some of the things that you are wanting to change for us in order to evolve in a better light?
3: Well, what I I what my my hope is is to ignite more hope inspire hope in people and you know not to give up and just live with the status quo i want people to know that so much more is possible that we're it's so it's possible to engage in the richness of life and we do that by starting out with ourselves we do that by starting out by allowing ourselves to experience joy allowing ourselves to be mindful to start engaging our senses in the experience of being present and and uh, in in learning how to engage in life in a different way and so my bigger goal is you know i love working with people individually that will never end and also i also love working in the corporate environment working with that environment to create cultures of care i i love all of it and Also, working with thought leaders, working with people in high tech and technology, mystics, people in the psychedelic space, um, because we're finding that's really helpful in helping uh, mental health issues and also, again, helping people imagine a new paradigm. How can we collectively change our paradigm, change the way we treat each other, change the way we do business together, uh, change the way we we take care of ourselves. You know, this is about sort of really changing a new cult, creating a new culture and creating a culture of hope versus a culture of fear. And mm. so that's sort of my bigger, my bigger mission.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that so much. That's one of the greatest things about when you start really being so passionate about certain subjects and getting out there, you've written the books, you've Did speaking engagements, and now you're connecting with other people who are passionate about similar things. And together, we are able to brainstorm some really incredible opportunities in order to create that new reality for the collective. And so I'm very curious, because I don't personally know a lot about it. And maybe people on the audience would be interested to know, but more about that psychedelic realm. What is that mm-hmm. like for you? How did you come into it? And what have you learned?
3: I have to tell you, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so I mean, I would, oh. it's really cool. I mean, I've, I've been mystical, and I've been intuitive. And, you know, I've been doing intuitive counseling. And working mystically with people for 20 years and also um working with spirituality so anybody that comes with any spiritual belief system we work with that and we use that in meditation and all that sort of thing so just suffice it to say i've been doing that for a really long time and in the past year or so i've also been connecting with other uh People, Many of them doctors who are also science meet spirit doctors who are psychiatrists who've gotten involved in the psychedelic realm to help their patients, um, many of whom who have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or, you know, bipolar or other different kinds of um, depression that hasn't been able to be treatable by medication. And, you know, again, it's uh, this notion of we've been taught to believe certain things. You've been taught that an apple is an apple. What if it was something else? Hmm. Right. So the the what the the, the psychedelics they do sort of um, they change the sort of the pathways of the neurons, right? So that you can have a, a sort of a larger experience of yourself and of life and done with correctly with the right therapist or person who can help you integrate, they can help you make meaning of these experiences that you're having. And now they also have microdosing of these of these um psychedelics, where they people take small doses over time, they don't have this sort of this big blowout experience, but small doses over time, again, that help them r- sort of remove some of the suffering out of the equation so that they can actually then make meaning and, and move out of this sort of um stuckness that mm. they're in to sort of, again, it's imagine like new neuron pathways are being formed to get you out of this stuck loop that the brain is in. So you're so think saying that the-
0: there's long-term effects that are yes, happening yes, yes. because those neuropathways are being connected and and formulating that that um I'm not even saying it right, but yeah they're 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 connected. So it's already right. done. So it's a long term effect.
3: Absolutely. Especially when you're you know you have the right person that's working with you, the right therapist. And I mean there's all different kinds of Of treatments out there right now, there's researching a lot. There's um, looking for legalizations of some of these, and and also then there is the sacredness of plants. You know, Mm -hmm. every plant, every plant has energy, every plant has spirit. So there's, I call plant spirit medicine. It's not just psychedelics. It's you know, your oregano has an energy to it, has a spirit to it, and you know, indigenous tribes and Native Americans, there is a whole ritual around every time they ate. So, again, when we bring sacredness into our world through we do it through plants, but you can do it through anything. But through plant medicine. Right. You create a healing for yourself and you create a healing for your world. And that start again, that richness, that sacredness that we start bringing in so we can learn from our from Western traditions and how to go about doing that. So I'm not an advocate of everybody going out there and doing psychedelics, because, again, it would be just like everything else. It's about really understanding the spirit, plant spirit medicine. And that, right. we are he- that it's healing and that, you know, Mother Earth is, is blessing us with this opportunity to use this medicine um, would allow us to be in coherence with with the Earth, with the, with the planet, with Mother Earth, help us heal. And as we heal, that helps, you know, the planet heal as well. So it's it's really a beautiful thing. And I really look forward to all the research that's burgeoning at the moment.
0: I definitely see more and more coming up about it. In fact, I think I even saw a documentary on Netflix or, or one of the platforms of it. We haven't dived into it yet, but now I'm even more curious because again, me personally, I haven't, I haven't gone into that area so much to research it. So I'm so glad that I asked you and it, when you start talking about the energy of things and then everything does have energy, right? And when we think about that with our food, uh, it's so funny. It brings to mind my my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter. We always want our children to, to listen to us and our wisdom, right? And they just have to to start getting older, to start understanding. And so she tells me things and I just chuckle to myself because I'm like, I've been telling you this your whole life. <laughs> but she says to me, mom, Did you know that fast food—that food has energy, and fast food has none. And and if you eat it, it just does nothing for you. And (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes,
3: darling. Um, So I just wanted—I wanted to to add to that. Actually, I'm talking about energy and and plants and the ecosystem, right? So how we are nature. So I don't know if people are aware, but in order for plants to grow and trees to grow there's a whole ecosystem that enables those those roots that feeds the roots and the roots talk to each yeah. other there's a whole communication system underground but also yeah. the all the the mushrooms and the and that are there to support all the fungus are there to support life itself and all the my, the bacteria and the parasite they're all are working together as we call it a microbiome yeah. that is living in the earth to support everything to grow but well, we have a microbiome too in our gut. And so a lot of what your brain on nature in, in concurrent books, I, what I wrote about was this microbiome. Now it's, you know, the big thing now is is taking probiotics in the microbiome. Um, however, you know, it's the same thing. So when you eat fast food, that microbiome literally starves. Yeah. And so when that starves, your gut, you know, gets holes in it and your inflammation gets through and it can't support you to thrive. Yeah. Just like if you, if it, we destroy the earth. Yeah. So again, back to like life is happening with us. <laughs> so
0: yeah, I I just love that message. Life is happening with us. I'm so pleased that you bring that to this audience. So we're gonna move into our second commercial. And when we get back, uh, we're gonna share some personal photos of yours. And so I'm excited to do that. Stay tuned. <laughs> So I am looking forward to bringing in some of your creations here. Mm-hmm. These, This is a, a photo of all of the incredible information that you are putting out into the world, this wisdom that you have done. So if you want to share just briefly about each one, you may.
3: Sure. Uh, well, I told you about the love response. That was my first um My first birth. um, And that was uh, really based on uh, that experience that I had with little Maya and then researching it and working with these uh, that physiological response with my patients and coming up with this book. So it's it's a prescriptive book. It's uh, based on 287 Mm -hmm. scientific references and my personal and clinical experience. And it's a science meets spirit book that gives you the why and then it gives you the how. Mm -hmm. And your brain on nature, I also told you about. And your health destiny was actually um, the 20 years of my practice in a book. Basically, the premise is that you have the power to change your health destiny just because you've been given a label a disease. It doesn't mean that it's going to manifest itself. And it's a merging of Eastern and Western medicine. And the tools that you need to heal yourself from meditation to going into the body and seeing what it's trying to tell you to nutrition and exercise, as well as what are the things that your doctor um, needs to hear about? You know, what are, what does are, what are, what Western medicine say about this this part of your body? So it's broken down into systems. And then the Stress, Management Handbook is sort of taking things from the love response in your health destiny and then more current stuff that I uh, wrote into a workbook and literally just something you can write in and a lot of the different exercises and tools of
4: uh-huh. managing
3: and what I say, using stress so it doesn't use you. So using it to your advantage. Mm. And then um, the last two books were books that the dummies folks had asked me to write. Um, they asked me to write during the pandemic and then after the pandemic.
4: Wow. So
3: um, knowing that my work had been in resilience for, you know, just this 20 years, they asked me to write resilience for dummies. And that's really, um, pretty much everything that I've been doing. And also um, the work that I was doing also in the corporate sector. Um, it just, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if people are familiar with dummies books, but you don't have to read it from beginning to end. You can open it up at any chapter and you'll get plenty of information. So, and the same thing for burnout. And burnout was actually a book that was originally supposed to be written by somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he backed out. He said, "I've got too much going on. I'm going to burn out if I write." am burning out. <laughs> and um, yeah. so they asked they asked me to to write it, and um, it was interesting because I re- I started out with his outline, and he's a person who does uh, mindfulness and compassion, and so and I liked that that piece. So the basis of burnout is really about compassion. Um, but it's also lived, you know, filled with all the science and other tools and techniques that are practical. And again, you can open up to any chapter and it will give you the how to and what's it all about and whether it's happening at home or whether it's happening at work. And, um, you know, what you do about your job if you're unhappy, um, what, are, what do you do if you're a leader and how do you take care of your people? So it's, that's in both books. So it, it sounds like pretty much everything. <laughs>
0: yeah. It, it sounds like so much of your work is really easily accessible for tips and tricks that people can, you know, just apply in whatever it is that they're doing and are interested in knowing more about. Yeah. So we go into mm-hmm. this that's beautiful little Maya. File.
3: Ah, That's my, she's now, by the way, 21, but that's one of my favorite photos when she was three. So I like that, that just too. shows that shows our the love that we have together and how she reminds me. She reminds me about the preciousness of life. Mm. And that's my other nephew. So she's, she's he's 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 actually that age. He's four. So he's also my daily reminder of of love and purity and curiosity and playfulness and remembering what's important. Ah. And that's my family. That's my 21 year old nieces in the back there and my dad and my mom and my sister. So we're just being silly again. It's sort of, you know, life can throw you curveballs, and don't forget to laugh.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, <you laughs> don't know, forget to be goofy. Yes. That that's such a, a huge thing. Laughter.
3: Uh, and this was at, it was at a retreat and met in my meditative state. Somebody took a picture. Um, and remembering how important that is to find our peace and find our center. And you can do that with your eyes open or eyes closed, but important to take that time out.
0: Well, if this is in the middle of a meditative state, what I love about this is the smile on your face. Yeah, because absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's when it's really good, right? When you're going deep and you just have <laughs> those thoughts and this amazing you know, reality that you're creating internally, that is, it feels so
3: good. It does. It feels so good. And even if you're not feeling that way, you know, you could actually smile into your heart and then you can elicit that feeling um, with a smile.
0: I, I like that very much. So I'm, I'm curious a little bit more about when we start talking about living longer I know we've we've touched on that just a little bit, but what what are some of what is some of your take on that? Like how can people really take the best care of themselves in order to
3: to live a longer life? Well, I like to think of living a quality life, right? So you a lot of people are living longer, but they're miserable. Remember, mm, I said great. I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared of dying. I was scared of suffering, yeah. and so the the really key here is, is living longer with quality yeah and i i truly i i'm going to be you know i'm going to be 56 this year and i really do think i get younger every year because i like i lighten the load you know mm. i'm lightening the stuff that is that i've been carrying around for so long in the seriousness and the, again it's not that life isn't serious and there isn't a lot of hardship happening but it's the taking of myself not not as seriously and And having, again, being with the four year old and running around with the four year old and embracing the childlike experiences, being curious. So it's about enlivening our energy. So everything is energy, right? And as we get older, the energy starts to wither and starts to, and everything you do is either going to refuel your energy or it's going to cause your energy to leak. And that's sort of, again, that's really the teachings in all these books is about energy. Everything is fuel. Everything. The the thoughts in your head are fuel. The food that you put in your mouth is fuel. The, the company that you keep is fuel. Everything yeah. is either going to fuel you to thrive or cause you to dive. One or the other. Yeah. Right? And so our choice is, what do I want? Do I want to thrive or do I want to dive? Because I'm going to dive as I get older. It's just part of the natural now there's all these biohackers out there that are finding ways to live longer. And, and it's not denying those things. They just happen to be a lot of these things happen to be super expensive. So we want to go towards natural, the natural ways I can thrive. So if I know that everything's energy, and I think about well, what kind of energy do I want to put in my body? We start paying attention. Well, when I eat this, I feel like crap, and I feel tired. And when I eat this, I feel great. Yeah. And then we say, well, what's happening to my skin? And when I put this this oil on my skin, what happens? And when I put this, whatever makeup on my skin, what happens? Like, again, we start really observe, uh, looking at with me, right? What's, what's in alignment with my net nature and my, my nur- what is nurturing my nature, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. So what is nurturing that? And it's going to be different for different people. However, there are certain things that are going to be the same, which is, This is what I call the six pillars, the six pillars of resilience, which is my physical vitality. What's going to support me to thrive physically, getting adequate sleep, having a meditation practice, getting out in nature, um, eating nutrient rich food, right? So those things that people talk about, but that is really physical energy. That's going to allow me to have physical vitality. The other thing is my my mindset. Do I have a Mm -hmm. growth mindset? Or limited mindset. Am I looking at things as opportunity? Am I curious? Am I open? Or am I fearful all the time and negative? Because that one's going to cause rigidity, literally. And and I'm going to break, you know, I want to be pliable so that something gets me. I can bend and come back, right? Little babies like falling, bounce right back up. We get older, we fall like, oh, I think I broke something. Right. And so that's what happens when our mind is either flexible or rigid. Literally, Mm -hmm. it happens to your brain cells. Okay, so it's everything, you can liken everything to, to the same thing. So our mindset, emotions, when our emotions are fluid, right? As opposed yeah. to rigid. So it's working on emotional balance.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mental, our mindset, emotional balance. So that's three. Four is our relationships. Are there circles of receiving and giving in our relationship? Are they supporting? Do we support? Or are they threatening? Do they take away? Or, you can know, be with an energy vampire, right? Right. So that's the fourth one is our relationships. The fifth one is spiritual connection, like our ability to make meaning from yeah. from our situation, our connection to something larger. Again, whether that's nature or spirituality or religion, whatever that may be. But it again, it's something that we know allows us to be healthier, to live longer. That's another form of energy. And last but not least, it's that knowing that I do not exist on my own, that mm-hmm. I am as an individual, not alone, and I affect everything around me. Just community. like a, a, like a pebble or a boulder, not only community, but being a pillar to in the collect- community, being a leader, a leader. You, every single person is a leader. Yeah. Because you affect everybody else. Yeah. Right? So it starts so, with, it starts with us. It starts with us. Exactly. Yeah. And now when you have resilience, the resilience has two sides. It has like, just like a bell shaped curve. Right. So there's a, a curve of where we are. We might be unresilient. We could be right in the middle. Yeah. And then you can kind of go either way when something hard happens. Or you could be all the way over here at the flourishing end.
4: Mm.
3: Or you could be on the burnout end. Right. That you just get knocked down so many times, you eventually end up burned out. Or you've cultivated your pillars and you're engaged and you find meaning and you have wonderful relationships and you're maintaining positive emotions. According to Seligman, those are the perma, you're flourishing. So when I'm flourishing, it's going to take a lot to get me to burn out. Mm. If I'm over here in resilience, it's not going to take much to get me to burn out. So these are the things that we can cultivate to help us flourish, and that flourishing is going to allow us to live with quality as long as we can.
0: I love that. I care, but I don't care. Yeah. That's great. That's so great. So I, I think you kind of touched on one of my other questions. Was what are the some of the things that you de- do each and every day in order to maintain your overall wellness? But you know that may just be incorporated with those six pillars.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I wake up. My morning is mine. So I know. Many people have to get up and go. I encourage you to give yourself at least 15 minutes before you get up and go. If you can, Mm -hmm. I I, I give myself much longer. I work for myself. That's the luxury. My morning is mine. I don't schedule appointments or anything else in my morning. And I wake up, I luxuriate with my decaf. I really like enjoy it because I love the taste of coffee, of good coffee. Some people have tea, water, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And then I do a little meditation. And then I'll exercise and I'll do my Qigong practice. And then, you know, I'll shower mindfully and then I'll eat mindfully. I really Mm. love making my breakfast. And then I start my day. Right. So or or I might have started my day and then exercise and all that kind of stuff. But my morning that morning when I'm I'm luxuriating and being mindful and having my meditation or journaling, that's mine. And that sets the tone for the rest of the day. And then it's being mindful throughout the day, taking breaks, making sure you're moving your body, making sure you're having wonderful conversations, making sure that you're doing something joyous and fun, Um, making sure that you're checking in with yourself and allowing yourself to have whatever feelings you're having and being compassionate towards yourself. Those are all things that I do on a daily basis. I have to practice what I preach. Yeah.
0: And it's a continuous practice. I think that's That's really important to notate because some people might think, oh, well, you know, as soon as I get to this point, everything's going to be fine and I can just let go. And, but it, but it's not. It is a continuous practice, a continuous reminder.
3: And that's why you put in the work. That's right. Just because just when I think I've worked on a negative belief system, I think, ah, I fixed it. I no longer feel this way. And then something happens and, there comes out again, you know? Yeah. And so it's sort of like, it's thinking about how deep is the wound
4: mm-hmm. and the
3: superficial ones we can heal pretty quickly. That ones that have been there over a lifetime or ones that are ancestral that our parents have, and we've been carrying, yes. those might take a while,
4: yeah. you
3: know? And so you think of who are the people that are your biggest lessons. And when, I think, I think Ram Dass might've said this. He said, you know, the day that you can be around your family and stay cool is the day you're enlightened. <sighs> Uh, (laughs) Oh, so something like that. I'm, 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 I think I'm misquoting him, but it's something of that nature. But it always cracks me up. So, yeah,
0: it's quoted well enough because I, I mean, I think most people could understand the aha
3: of that. Yes, definitely. Um, that's incredible. And and that also reminds me, I have also like when it comes to learning, because again, we're constantly learning, there's the levels I like call it the levels of O. Right. So I might say something interesting and you'll say, oh, you know, you're putting two and two together. and Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Oh, oh, so it's kind of cerebral. Right. So, oh, and then I might say something that is a felt experience and you go, oh, mm, mm, right? yeah, and then I say it again. And then you really get it like it's in your gut. It's an embodied experience and you go, oh. So it's the levels of O, the levels of O are of our understanding, and so we 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 need to hear things many times in many different ways yes. until it's fully embodied. It takes a while, so practice. I think when people say, "Oh, you're so good at this," you know, "you're so disciplined," and I don't do things because I have to. I do things because I want to. Right. It's a form of it's a form of self love. So mm-hmm. you know, I might encourage the audience to you know be. Be aware of your your language and say, oh, you know, I need to exercise. I ate too much, or I need to go on a diet, or um, I feel guilty. I didn't actually, all those types of statements are not going to get you to do those things. So think about if I loved myself, what would I do for myself? Mm. Right? What would I do for my body? How would I, how is, you know, what are the ways to nurture? What could I do that could nurture me that I also enjoy? So do things that you enjoy, you know, enjoy going for walks, find a friend to walk with. If you enjoy dancing, go find a class that you can do some dancing with, like do things that bring you joy. Think of it as self-love. I love that.
0: So important. Well, Dr. Eva, you have really given me a lot of O's today. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that when my guests can do that. And we have a lot of people on this show, and so it's not, it's not always that that happens. So I really appreciate your time today, and I believe that the audience has been given a lot of gifts today as well to ponder on and think on. I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you, who you are. So your website is www.drcellhub.com. That is D-R-S-E-L-H-U-B for those of you listening in. It is also in the description below. So please make sure to check her out, buy her books, read the books, because I know that they are giving so much more insight than what we have had here today. So I appreciate that very much and we could absolutely talk on and on and on. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share with the audience today?
3: No, I I think we've covered everything and you know just to offer you a blessing of love and Um, I think one of the affirmations I give people, and this is on YouTube. I have lots of stuff, lots of free meditations on YouTube if you just Google that. And there is a meditation called The Shield that I highly recommend. Um, But in there, there's an affirmation. It's basically saying, I am enough, I have enough, I have all that I need, come what may, I have all that I need. And so when you're feeling in dire straits to remember that you have what you need, and even if you, you really don't, saying I have what I need, and it will start bringing in what are the resources. Know that the resources are there, and sometimes it's just a matter of asking. And that, you know, as as I wish for you to know that those resources are there and that you are loved. And if you can hold on to that, the people will come, the help will come, the resources will come, um, because they're out there.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate your light Mm -hmm. and wisdom here with us today and for our audience. Thank you so much for tuning in on the wellness driven Live show. Goodbye for now. And we will see you next time. Thank you.